As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, as he stated. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Our theme is there is no perfect time to start following your dreams because people always talk about their purpose or gift. If you have a gift, always lead with your gift and don't let your friends, family or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My guest on the show today is a renowned R&B singer, songwriter, Kim. For all of his life, Kim has always been driven by music and the emotions involved in bringing his music to life. He is now the author of the memoir, Share My Life. In his book, Share My Life, Kim goes back to the very beginning, before his music stardom, to introduce us to his grandmother, who worked as a sharecropper in the South and had 13 children. His mom always had a beer in her hand, and he had a very intense relationship with his father. Confused and rejected, Kim eventually used drugs and alcohol for relief. He is on the show to discuss this incredible journey, his independent music career, family, and his book, Share My Life. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Masterclass, the one and only Kim. How you doing, my brother? I'm good, man. How you doing? This book. Let's 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 set the table here because it's a great book. I read it from cover to cover, and my wife she knows when I I maybe just leave me alone. I'm reading this. This is this is this is this because you had me on a journey. But when I when I look at who Kim is, one platinum selling album, Kim album two, two gold selling albums, Chemistry and Intimacy, three Grammy nominations, five number one hit singles. Why are you writing this book? Share my life. Um, thank you for having me today, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, I wrote this book because any healing and transformation that I have experienced in my life, uh, which has been a great deal, mm-hmm. um, experienced because somebody shared their story with me along the way. And, uh, somebody was transparent with me. Someone was vulnerable with me. Someone was, uh, willing to admit their faults to me. And, um, 
and and their overcoming to me, their triumph and and the and the tragedy of their lives. They shared those experiences with me, and it helped me to transform my life. And uh, I'm hoping that my book does the same for someone else. Well, you know, when you because we know one Kim, you know, I, I you and I have a long relationship yeah. through music, through Steve Harvey Morning Show, a lot of events we did together over the years, and when the inspiration behind this book. I knew that version. I can remember when I first met you, I, I believe it was in Philadelphia at WDAS, the large outdoor festival. And I just saw this cool little thin guy come down there with a jacket on, sat down, no socks on, sat down at that piano and just did his thing. A confident guy. And when I read the book, Kim, that wasn't who you were growing up. The confidence wasn't there. The, um, the style wasn't there. The grace wasn't there. Talk about that early years of Kim. Um, you know, my in, in the book, I talk about uh, my struggles with uh, with uh, depression. I talk yes, about uh, being homeless for a minute. I talk about um, my struggles with alcohol and drug addiction. And people who follow me, you know, just like you, you know, I've shared bits and pieces of right. my story throughout the years. This is 20 years, 20 years being signed to the Motown label. It's been two decades since I had a real job. And, uh, um, those periods of my life were, again, you know, they were, they were, they were hard years. There was a lot of darkness. Um, but I learned some things that, that, that have helped me to, uh, to, uh, to sustain on July 23rd of 1990, I had my, my last drink, my last drug. And, um, there's an adage I love that says when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I, uh, I came to a place where I, where I stopped trying to consider the idea that I could solve my own problem with my with with, with my present state of mind. Right, right. You know, I gave up on I gave up on you know my ideas on how to fix my life. And uh, when I surrendered, and that's what that was was a surrender. When I surrendered, you know, uh, I, I ended up running into some 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 people and to some organizations that have that have helped me build. Uh, upon upon the their show, the the foundation of my career and my life today are built on the shoulders of of people who have come into my life and shared their stories with me. You know, this is it was, it was a really interesting book. I'm talking to Kim. His book, Share My Life, a memoir about his life, his struggles as a youth, as a young man. We all had struggles. I've had struggles, and overcoming yeah. the odds, overcoming the the overcoming yourself sometimes when you think about it, because a lot of things that you did, you were, you created the problem. Now, when you look at yourself and you, this book, Kim, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, we've talked, but just to hear you talk this much, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect in this interview because you're a very low key guy. Some, you talk yeah. about shyness in the book and now you're doing this book tour, this book tour talking about yourself is, is, is this a, is this a, a therapy in a sense, having you, Talk about yourself, having you be able to just, just, just communicate at this level. Um, no, a lot of much of what has been written uh, in the book, you know, I've already, I've already processed, you know, right, I've, I've right. processed, and uh, um, you know, it is, it is therapeutic in the sense that right. in the telling of, in the telling of my story in an effort to help other people, I'm also helping myself. Right. Right. You know, that's how I'm bearing witness. I'm giving testimony, which also, which also feeds me. And you, and you said something very interesting, you know, that, that I want to, that I want to pick up on. You said a lot of it is about overcoming, overcoming of self, right. Mm -hmm. And all of life, 
is about overcoming self. <laughs> you know, right? It's all about overcoming you, right? Yeah. All these all these gurus on on Instagram and Facebook and the preachers, and we're always talking about you can't let them do this to you, and you know don't pay attention to your haters and they this and they that. Look, my biggest problem has always been has been me, right? I'm right. not. It ain't other people. You know what I mean? And uh, and you know you know that 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 success and and uh, entrepreneurship and 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 success in life is an internal job. It ain't an external job. It's what it's what we tell ourselves and how we navigate our inner space that dictates what happens externally. You know, so I I share this, you know, in the book in the hopes that I can you know that I can inspire and encourage somebody to uh, you know to get to get to get through to the other side of whatever they may be dealing with in their lives. You know, you, and you do inspire because of the fact that let's, let's put it this way, Kim, you're doing things that I never did. And you accomplished yeah. some things in the book that I, I didn't, I don't know if I could have overcome because of the yeah. fact there was a support system in place. It was two people who played very important roles. And I want you to describe to them because they, the name was mom in the book and mother in the book. Can you explain to everybody yeah. who mother was and who mom was in your book? Well, mom is, mom is, uh, is, 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 you know, my mom is, when I talk about mom, I'm talking about my mother, the woman who, who gave birth to me at 17 years old in, uh, in, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, you know, she's pregnant by a high school teacher, uh, that was at her school, um, you know, uh, an encounter of, of, of shame. I was born, you know, under the auspices or in the auspices of, of, of shame, you know, her dad, this is 67, right? So her right. dad was a preacher, was, was a pillar in the Pentecostal church. So, I mean, it was, it was a scandal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, on top of that, right, and on top of that, they burn in Detroit down, 1967. Right. 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 <laughs> so so you, you know, you're coming in, you know, yeah. uh, out of wedlock, Detroit's on fire. <laughs> Welcome to the world, Kim. <laughs> and, uh, and the woman I refer to as mother is my mom, is my mom's mother. And, and that's, that was, that was everybody in the family called her, her mother, you know, and other families, the vernacular would be big mama. You know, she was big mama in, in our family and, um, too strong, strong willed, um, strong willed, powerful, determined women, you know, and, uh, with all of their, with all the tragedy and all of the triumph of their lives, you know, and, uh, I talk about silence, you know, and, uh, how silence is, is, is the silence in our, in our family dynamic was, was generational. You know, we didn't talk about stuff. We didn't have the tools to, to communicate. We didn't have coping skills, you, especially, you know, in African-American community, I'm sure in other communities as well, you know, there's the, there's the, uh, you know, this is grown folks business. You don't ask any questions. You go over in the corner and you sit down. Um, the, uh, the dysfunction that is displayed in the household is not, is not, uh, it, you, you don't get debriefed on it. You know, it just mm -hmm. happens, you mm -hmm. know, and you're left to fend for yourself emotionally, spiritually, and, and, and psychologically. And, uh, um, there was a lot of that growing up and we've done a lot of good work to get to the other side of that, you know, and I'm grateful for that, you know, but, but those are the seeds that, that informed my, 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 uh, low self-esteem, my childhood depression, my, my, ultimately my addiction, you know, being in and out of jail and hospitalized 
you know, out in the streets stealing, conniving, you know, uh, you know, those were the seeds, you know, and, uh, and I talk about that and right. I'm great and I'm, and I'm cool, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't wish to shut the door on my past. It's a part of who I am. You know, it makes me who I am today. It informs the music, it informs the art and, um, you know, and it's the, and it's a witness, you know, it's a, it's a testimony to, to going through something, you know, and taking, taking your lemons. <laughs> <laughs> I love taking it. the lemons life, you know, and making some delicious lemonade. Well, you know, you know, you know and, it's interesting. First of all, in re- reading the book, it's a, it's a very honest book. And that is always yeah. when you start writing these memoirs, you start evaluating yourself or you start because you're not just talking about yourself. You're talking about other people who have who, yeah. ju- who have journeyed with you now. And because and, yeah. you talk about so many different people, so many different people who had emotional, very, very close emotional words. Did you reach back at the individuals that you talked about in the book? I was that broker in, the, in writing the, your memoir. Um, not all of them. You know, I haven't had a conversation with everyone uh, that is. That is uh, uh, depicted in the book. Um, I, you know, my mom was interviewed for the book mm-hmm. early on in the writing. That's my my father was interviewed mm-hmm. for the book. You know, I I did. I went, Rashawn. I went way around the block <laughs> <laughs> to protect to protect my my. I went way around the block to not denigrate, to not uh, dishonor, to not bring. Uh, shame on the other characters of the book. And I've noticed that, you know, because, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be in this role of writing a memoir <laughs> with a superstar talent like you and, and being able to, because yeah. once it goes out there, you, you can't bring it back. And then all of a sudden, right. certain people, you, you try to write it as comfortable as possible, but they still get offended by it because they feel you didn't tell it the way they it should have been told or you should have asked me. So it becomes, it becomes right. something you write honestly. And then when it gets published, that's another journey that you have to deal with because of the fact that your story has to be told. It can only be told one way through your, through the lens of Kim. And with that being right. said, it had to start somewhere and it started in the house. It started with your mom, it started with your dad, started with the mother, which is your grandmother. That okay was important before you move forward. Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that is, I mean, that's, that's the foundation. That's where it all starts, you know? And, um, and I, you know, so, so, so backing up, it's like, yes, you know, I'm seeing it. I'm, I told the truth as I see it, you know, and I'm and there, and there is no way that I would have told the truth or I would have, there was no way that I would have characterized that no matter what I had said, I would not characterize it. I would not have characterized it the way that, another kid that someone else would have you know everybody it's going to be different you know i can make it as fussy as nice as possible and there and you know people would, would, would still take issue with it. I, I i i expect that and i anticipate that and that that's you know i think that that's just par for the course um um but i but i did you know i you know i treated everybody you know respectfully i told the truth but i you know i i didn't my my intent was not to um, was not to shame or or, uh, or 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 denigrate anyone. And you didn't. And, and you and you didn't. I want to be honest with you. You didn't because I know the level of honesty that these books have to be, and uh, and especially with two of the uh, the people you had to discuss were you know the mothers of your children. That was important that that story was told as accurately yeah. and as sensitive as possible. But one of the yeah. part about growing up with because your you know your father 
you know, he is an engineer, graduated from HBCU, Tennessee State, and your mom eventually got her degree at Wayne State. And when we come back from this break, I want to talk about chemistry. That man, when you when you started talking about that man, that the book went to a whole different level because it became an entrepreneurial book, and it became right. it became a different. That's the part of the book that your book is incredibly intense, incredibly well written, incredibly eye opening. But when you got to that entrepreneurial section. That was a section that really told me why you're great today. Please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass. HBCUs represent Black excellence. If you attend or are an alumnus of an HBCU, we want to hear about your story. The My HBCU Story Digital Library will allow current HBCU students and alumni to share their stories. Registration is open to everyone. More information is available at HBCUCollegeDay.com. Click My HBCU Story. Next, you can upload a photo. The photo can be recent or from when you attended your HBCU. Then, share your academic or social experience at your HBCU and how attending an HBCU changed your life. We also want to hear stories if you pledged a fraternity or sorority. The goal is to use your My HBCU Story to promote and uplift the HBCU brand. Your HBCU prepared you for success, and now we want everyone to read about your Black excellence. More information is available at hbcucollegeday.com. You can click My HBCU Story to share your story. Welcome back to the Money Making Conversations Masterclass, hosted by Rishon McDonald. I'm going to be honest with you. I got to tell everybody, let them know when I, when I, when I get to my truck and uh, go to my player, the first four songs, I got to just let everybody know, are Kim songs. And I say that to be honest to everybody, but when I bring them on the show is that, that when somebody has comes into your life musically, because music plays such a powerful role in people's lives. A lot of people don't understand the value of music. Kim, when you started putting together chemistry, you became a perfectionist. It had to be right. It had to be, and, and you, and you were driving people crazy. Tell us about that journey as an independent music producer, seller, and artist. Yeah, I, uh, I'm still driving people crazy. Look, <laughs> I, uh, I, um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't set out, you know, entrepreneur, you know, I think sometimes it gets, uh, we complicate it, you know, we complicate it. And, you know, there's lots to learn. And, you know, I, I, I watch Shark Tank and I hear people coming in there, man, and they're breaking down their business and like breaking down their numbers. And, and they know, the cost of acquisition for one of their online. I mean, they know all of that stuff. Dude, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was I needed I wanted to make a, I wanted to put a CD out on my own, you know, and I learned. I just kept doing the next, what, what was the next right? What's the most logical thing, the next right logical thing that you need to do, do that. Right, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the first thing you need to do is record this, right? So go and find a studio, you know, to record. Well, the first thing you need, you need some money, right? So I had, you know, I kept my, uh, I had been uh, in, in credit recovery for a few years and ended up getting an American Express uh, card. Come on, gold know, card so now. Credit. Let's go give you credit. It was a gold card now. It was a gold. It was a gold card, and then uh, and then attached to the gold card. Well, it wasn't attached to the gold card, but then I I had the gold card for a couple of years, and and then I ended up getting a business line of credit, 
you know, $17,000 from American Express. So mm-hmm. they didn't know what I was going to do with the money. But what I did with the money <laughs> was, was, record, was record the chemistry album, you know, and um, and basically you, you know, bet on yourself. Them, you bet on yourself. You have to. If you can't, if you're not going to bet on it, then don't bring your proposal to my door. How much you right? That's right. How mm-hmm. much money you got it? Your skin is okay. You know, are you willing to put everything that you got, you know, on the line? And I was. Yeah, I figured. Look, this will either work, or if it don't work, I'll just have the largest credit card bill in America that I will spend the next thirty-five years, you know, paying off. But if it works, you know, then then I'm on to something. So I was. You know, I was just I just kept doing the next right thing, you know, and uh, recording the record, um, finding a place to produce the record, you know, pivoting, you know, when I wasn't at the right studio because this dude didn't really, you know, didn't provide me with what I needed. So I had to pivot to somebody else, you know, to help record the album. Uh, my my manager then was Toya Hankins and, you know, she was instrumental in the marketing Toya. and mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We were sending, you know, I was sending people. I didn't know any, you know, I, I dude, I, I didn't have any, any, I, I, I did have some books, you know, how to manage your band and all the, this business of music, you know, I knew how to copyright. My, so I, there was an education that was taking a place, but it was taking place in real time. You know, I was learning as I was, as I was going and what's the next right thing, you know, so somebody's going to buy this CD, they're going to scan it. So you need to have a UPC code. Now you can record at the studio and they'll put theirs on there. They'll do that for you. It's like, nah, I want my own. So I went to the UPC code council or whatever that is, got my <laughs> own barcode that I still have today, you know, put it on the back of the records, was selling them, you know, on consignment at the mom and pop record stores in Detroit. I had to make, I had to use, you know, a word program to, to make uh, consignment sheets so that I could keep track of, of, you know, my sales and how much people owed me. And I mean, it was a, it was definitely, it was, it was, it was definitely, definitely, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial uh, uh, endeavor. You know, you know, Kim. The reason I, I the reason I, I wanted the people to hear that because people don't see the the end game. They only hear the yeah. the denominations, yeah. their awards. Well, you were hustling, man. You was you was taking your album back in the day. That's what they were albums to different stores, and could you sell this or could you sell my CD? And then you had to humble yourself to be a salesman and convince people and talk people and talk yourself up. And a lot of people today are. They, they, they miss that step. They think that I can get on social media, I can get a bunch of followers, and I can be a star. But then there is some right. groundwork to that, correct? Yeah, there's there's definitely. Well, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I see people on on <laughs> online, you know, and the YouTube stars and Instagram, you know. I mean, they, you know, my motive, you know, I, I don't know how I don't know how I would do it today. Right. You know, uh, you know, their motivation is, you know, they don't, you know, I, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't speak to that. What I can speak to um, is, is, is the discipline and, and, and building something that lasts forever. But dude, if you can stream and you don't have, you don't have to do that. And you can stream a billion streams and become a millionaire and like sit at the house and never leave the house and never do shows. So the world, but I can't do that. Right, right, right. <laughs> we got to have Kim. I got to see Kim. Okay. New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day. Okay. I got to see Kim. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I, uh, you know, but I, you know, I, I had to, I had to, I had to, we had to work, you know, we had to work and, and had to build, a foundation that 
that has lasted for two decades, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm, 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 I couldn't be happier and more grateful, you know, for the grind that it took to sit where I sit today. And the grind is always about the unknown. And then as you're going through, is music really the ultimate? What was that turning point? Because I read was your your ninth grade your music teacher was the first person that really set you in front of a a, a piano or a keyboard, and you start playing around with that. And then you started spending hours more than you would spend time in a book. You start spending time on a at these keys. What what when did yeah. that, when did that become like? you know, your master or like, this is what I love because that's what we all learn in life, whether it's dribbling a basketball or standing on stage as a comedian or a singer. When did you realize that yeah. this is a gift? This is my gift. I mean, I knew that I, lo- I knew that I, I knew that I loved it before, before our family left Nashville. You know, I loved the piano when I was a toddler. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I see that there was a check attached to it or, or it was a, you know, a possible vocation until much later you know, in, in my life. And, um, you know, and actually, and there's a, you know, and there's a paradox there too, cause I didn't get a deal. Well, you know, when I, I got a deal when I stopped, when I, when I, you know, I realized that, uh, that, um, I didn't have to, you know, I had always been chasing a record deal since I was a teenager, you know, right. I came to a place in my thirties, I was like, you know what, maybe music is not my thing. I thought that I, I, I became open to the idea I could be successful doing something else. You know, it doesn't have to be music. And I let go of it. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite. And together, you know how we do. We create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I didn't stop making music, but I let go of the idea that this was. Did you let go of the passion of it, or because of the doubt, or the or the rejection? Is that why you let go of the idea? It was none of that. This is this was elevated thinking, right? It wasn't that it was the rejection. It was like I was just open to the, you know, it's a, it's a spiritual axiom, right? I had this. I gotta have it. 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 And it's like, no, you know what? I don't have to have it. I can be successful doing something else. Let me go find out what that is. And it didn't mean that I was gonna quit making music. It just meant that, you know, it didn't. I didn't, you know, they're like, dude, there's more to me than just than just doing this. Let me go find out what those things are. And I, and I went and looked at for those things and I failed miserably. However, (laughs) (laughs) it it was, it was the letting go, right? It was the letting go and being willing and all. I think business is one thing that I've, 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 that has really been uh, crucial to me. in, in this last, you know, probably 18 month period is that businesses fail, man. And people fail because they don't pivot. They don't pivot soon enough. You know, they wait and they hold on, you know, and I say this for the people who, you know, for the for 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 the aspiring singer whose mother tell them that they sound good singing in the living room and spend your whole life until you're 65 years old trying to sing. You know, when actually you make some pretty good cupcakes and that's what you should be doing. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Oh, that's funny. Well, in your book now, you talk about trying to be a comedian now. You did talk about trying to be. That was a very good joke there, my brother. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Look, I, you know, so I feel I, you know, I, um, I've always known what it was, you know, but I'm always open to the idea that I don't have all the answers. Right. Right. I'm always open to the idea that I don't have all the answers. And even even today, dude, it's like, yeah, I make records. I'm sitting down here. You know, I just wrote this book. We got a live album that just came out. I'm out on the road with with Lettucey and uh, and Music Soul Child. And I still ask myself every day, Lord, if the hey, yo, then point point me in the right direction. I don't want nothing that don't belong to me, you know, which is anti entrepreneur. You know, that that whole self will, you know, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's a place for that, you know, but it comes with limitations. So I just, I just, I just remain, I just remain open. But there was a shot at you potentially selling Mary Kay, though. I wasn't selling Mary Kay for the car. I was selling Mary Kay for the hustle. I was, I like right? I love it. I love I, it. One of my, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the emotional side of this, you know, you talk about the relationship, you talk about, you know, your, your skin tone being bullied and and but the relationships ties really to the music. It ties to your therapist telling you that probably your music is therapeutic to you. When you started getting these answers along the way you and you father two incredibly um, amazing children out of wedlock, you start dealing with that, the responsibility of fatherhood and your career and trying to maintain a responsibility and stand close to your children. When did you start lining everything up, Kim, that it made sense to you that I'm doing it right? Um, I have, you know, I don't know that it's, I don't know that I, you know, I'm always in the process of lining it up. You know, it's always, I'm always in the process of process of lining it, lining my life up. And 
peeling back the layers of the onion to my life. You know, I don't think it's not a place where you arrive because I look back, you know, where I thought I had it lined up pretty good. And like, I, you know, I'm looking back, I'm like, dude, you were crazy (laughs) back then, right? So like, you know, with every, you know, I'm not, we, we are constantly evolving, constantly, constantly learning. I'm not the guy, I'm not the same guy I was six months ago. You know what I'm saying? It's like constantly, you know, reevaluating, constantly, um, you know, uh, as uh, Stephen Covey would say, you know, constantly sharpening the saw, you know, trying to get, try, it's not, a, it's not a question of, of arriving. It's a question of continuing to, to, to make the best effort to do to keep doing the next right thing, you know, and building upon that, you know, and I'm pretty, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a pretty, in a pretty good place, you know, right now, but I also know that there's, that there's definitely more to learn and more to be discovered. Well, the, the amazing thing that I discovered with you in reading this book, because, you know, you only know a person, one side of a person, just like a person doesn't know other sides of me until I tell them and reveal them like you were, like you were revealing in this book. But, you know, the fact that you, made a conscious effort, you know, your mom graduated from college, Wayne State, your father graduated from Tennessee State, and then you made the conscious decision to go back to school because you dropped out. Why was yeah. that important? I went, I went back to get my high school. Diploma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to, you know, I was not, you know, I was not uh, college material, and, that, and that's okay. We get it ingrained in, a, you know, we ingrained in our children that, you know, college 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 and everybody ain't gonna thrive in college you know what i'm saying so um but i went back to get my high school diploma because it was always a point of it was always a point of shame you know for me and um i was trying i was actually i actually was trying to take the ged i was trying to take the ged to get my ged but the test for the ged was too hard it was easier for me i'm like dude i may as well go I'm like, I may as well go back to school. You know what I'm saying? Only have You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm gonna tell you, I'm take care. I I gotta stop you, man. You know, um, this is a pretty intense book, man. You know, Kim is a pretty intense chairman, and we've been laughing, man. We've been um joking around. That's the amazing side of this story, the amazing side of you, man. You a good brother, man. You are a um you are a winner. You are you are a comedian, and that's a side of y'all. I'm so happy I'm getting to hear and see for the first time in my life because as 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 a person who watched you perform, I'm in awe, yeah. and that's a shield yeah. because you know when you like you saying you Michael Jackson came out and Prince and you know all those songs you talk about that really turn you in direction of who you are today. That's who you are. To me, when I watch you on stage as an artist, because of the fact that how you affect me from a stand from a, a personal standpoint, it's all good. It's all good because you motivate your, your your music is motivational. Your music is emotional. Music is uplifting. All those things that that that, that as an artist you want it to be, but to hear you, you know, at, at this layer of you I've never seen before is really refreshing. In your thoughts, is this is this Kim? Thank you. Yeah, this is Kim. This is Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we ain't done yet. (laughs) We're going to keep it going. Well, my brother, I want to, I want you to keep it going. And I want to thank you for coming on my show. Just taking the time to just share my life, which is your life. Because, because you're part of so many people's lives. This is the memoir written by David Ritz. The name of the book is Kim. 
My brother, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. Please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Attorney Benjamin Crump is a nationally recognized trial lawyer. He recently led the George Floyd family legal team. Attorney Benjamin Crump once told me that anyone should sit in a courtroom during a trial, and you will clearly see there are two systems of justice. Just because they say it's legal, that doesn't mean it's right. Everything Hitler did to the Jews in Germany was legal, but that didn't make it right. Slavery was legal, but that didn't make it right. And they try to tell us what they did to Trayvon Martin and Breonna Taylor and Eric Gardner and so many others was legal. But I stand on my bully pulpit every chance I get to remind America, no matter what you say is legal, that doesn't make it right. If you want to hear this full interview with attorney Benjamin Crump, visit moneymakingconversation.com. Welcome back to the Money Making Conversations Masterclass, hosted by Rishon McDonald. My guest today is Dr. Corey Abair. He's the chief medical officer of Dillard University and an assistant professor at LSU Health Services Center and Tulane University Medical Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. Also an ER physician for over 25 years and one of the leading voices for sickle cell care. Dr. Abair is also co-hosting a new show called Living Your Life. He interviews incredible people who refuse to let a life-threatening illness hold them back from success. He also talks to top medical, community, and entertainment influencers. The series, Living Your Life, brings attention to families and individuals thriving despite sickle cell disease or sickle cell trait. Please welcome, for the first time on my show, Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Dr. Corey Abair. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We've... Uh... We've our paths have crossed many times in a, in the in the many years that you have been out on the <laughs> on, on, on the road. I remember one time in South Africa we were doing a little something something. Absolutely, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good to, good to hear from you, and I'm glad. You well, are. you know when you when you go to New Orleans, especially as much as I've been to New Orleans and plus South Africa, that that means that we're doing something right. Because I know as far as your brand, you're nationally known in the media. Today's show, Good Morning America, your face is very familiar when people turn on the tube, which gives credibility to, about your brand when you talk. Because you are a brand, Dr. Abair, correct? Well, you know, I, I think it's a it's a, a word that people use very loosely now. They want to get their brand. But I've been doing this for 25 years. So I, I hope that I put enough skin in the game and boots on the ground that I could say officially that I do have a brand. But how did it all start? You know, because, you know, you, you don't, you don't, I'm talking about the media portion of it all, because you went to college, just like we all went to college, wanted to get that degree, then you went to medical, yep. and then you start serving the community in the degree format that you chose in college. Mm -hmm. But how did the media transition happen in your career? You, you know, it, it was, it's a funny thing. You never know how stuff's going to happen. It's, so, so basically, I, uh, I, I finished, finished medical school, finished residency, but uh, during residency in New Orleans, we were the murder capital of the world in mm -hmm. 1997 in New Orleans. And we are the murder capital of the world once again, which makes me very sad. Uh, but we were. And um, I would be in the emergency room and seeing all these people, black people, uh, poor people just coming to the ER in the middle of the night for like stuff that, like for ringworm or for like an ear infection or something. And I'm like, man, why? Why are you here in the middle of the night? And they're like, well, we didn't know where else to go. So when somebody that looks like me gives me some uh, some inkling that 
I can help them by just giving them information. I felt I needed to do something about it. So I, I was I was married at the time and I, I, I went to my wife and said, look, I want to start a TV show called Urban Pediatrics and then move it to urban medicine. And I want to do it and I, I want to tell people and, and, and empower people on on their health because people out here are dying and, you know, and, and inconveniencing their lives, little things. I said, so um, I went to the, uh, the the public access TV station in New Orleans and they, and they asked me, I told them what I wanted to do. And they said, yeah, you can do it. That'd be great for the low, low price of $300 a month. Now, let me tell you something. That doesn't sound like a lot now, but in 1997 and you're making $25,000 a year, that was a lot. My, my, and my wife said, you're not about to do that. I said, look, this is a sacrifice we're going to have to make. So I started and I started at two o'clock in the morning at a, on channel 195. And two years later, I was at six o'clock on Saturday after Saturday evening afternoon on channel eight, which was their number one spot. So I moved up. People wanted it. And, and it was a great thing. Then right before Hurricane Katrina, NBC came calling and said, we saw this show, man. It's really good. What we want you to put. We want to put you on the, on the network. I said, that's awesome. And then. Hurricane Katrina came, washed mm-hmm. everything away. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm going to get to the point real quick here is because this is like what you're talking about with the show. I had a defining moment and people will have defining moments in their lives and you got to step up for them and God will let you know when it is. After Hurricane Katrina, I lost, I, my, my office was fine. My house was fine. Everything was fine. But I, I was I was the only doctor practicing medicine for about three months. And it was these 18-hour, 20-hour days. It was horrible, man. But one night, about two weeks after the, the, the hurricane, NBC called me and said, can you come and talk about health after Hurricane Katrina? Because people are spread throughout the United States, man. We need somebody to come on. Can you do it? I was laying in my bed. It was 10 o'clock at night. I was tired as hell. And I was like, you know what? This may be a defining moment for me. I got to get up and I got to do this. And I went to the TV station that night and I was on TV for 1,227 consecutive nights after that. <laughs> and that's when Dr. Oz came calling. That's when Oprah came calling. That's when all the networks came calling because I, I was bringing edutainment, but at the same time, bringing that information in a way that nobody was giving it at that time. So, you know, that's how it all happened. And then I, ever since then, you know, once you become that voice where people trust you know, you you move forward and that's what happened. Now, do you putting in the 18 hour days and still doing TV simultaneously? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because after after that, uh, after that hurricane, man, look, I, I was lucky I w- wasn't working 24 hours a day. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know what the, I'm saying? I mean, you know, you know and I, I bring that up, Dr. Avery, because we always talk about dreams. We always talk about commitment. We always talk about effort because everybody wants the, the pie, but don't nobody want to make the pie. And sure. and that's what we're talking about right here is that. You could have laid in bed and said, hey, man, I'm tired. But something told you to get up. And it told you, and that's called effort. That's called wanting to fulfill your dream through application. But then when they brought you back the next day, at what point did you, in your mind, you go, should I stop? Should I keep doing this, Dr. Abel? Well, when did you start? Do you ever start questioning the process? Because they kept asking you day after day to continue this whole run. Yeah. Now, it's funny you would mention the word process because I was laying in my bed just the other night and I had another defining moment. (laughs) I'm telling you, and it's been 20, 20 some years later. This is what happened. I'm trying to figure out why we can't do better as a people. I'm trying to figure out why we can't get more black people into medical school. And I realized something, you know, when we were coming up, right, we had to process a lot of stuff and we actually had to 
go through a process. So when you were wanting to go to the movies, when you were growing up, you had to pick the movie, pick the movie theater, pick the time, pick the way you go get the money, pick the friends you want to go with, pick how you going to figure out how to get there, all this kind of stuff. And then you had to make sure you got it right because there were no phones to contact people. So if your friends were got there and you were late or somebody else was late, it was just it was just a mess. So you had to figure out the process and that's how your brain developed. Remember, our brains aren't really concrete until we're 25 years old. So everything is your brain is still developing up until that time. If you remember, that's why you couldn't rent a car before you were 25 years old. That's where that came from. Anyway, so, but what I realized is that these young people, when they want to see a movie, what do they do? They press a button. When they want some food, what do they do? Press a button. When they want to go somewhere, they press a button. Everything comes to them. Everything is on demand. So that means that their brains, as they were being, as their brains are being developed, then they don't understand the same process that we had to go through to make things happen. But the problem is that the process to be successful is old school. Mm. So the process to be successful hasn't gravitated so that they can understand how to actually go through the process. So there is a disconnect and a divorce between the young brain and how to process to get through things and the old way things go to actually be successful. And until we tell the young people, it ain't going to change. So you need to adapt to the process or we come from the top and say the process is going to change. We're going to have a big disconnect. And these old uh, 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 white establishments aren't about to change the process so young black people can can get it. So we have to educate. So my thing was, I understood the process by which I was going to become successful. And it meant showing up and going somewhere to make that happen, not something coming to me to make that happen. And that's what I did in that bed that night to get up and go somewhere and keep going to meet it, not letting it, letting it to meet me, to come awesome. to see me. I'm talking to Dr. Corey Abair, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Dillard University and an Assistant Professor at LSU Health Services Center and Tulane University Medical Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. ER physician for over 25 years. So he's on the front line. But more importantly, he's one of the leading voices for sickle cell care. Dr. Abair, you have a show coming out called Living Your Life. It's co-hosted. You co-hosted with uh, Keir Spates. Mm-hmm. Why is this show important? And why are you hosting it or co-hosting it? Um, the, the reason why is because, first of all, Keir's crazy. And I love Keir, so we, we have a ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, primarily, what we found is that um, sickle cell disease in America is, is, is a disease that people don't talk about because it affects mostly um, brown people. Let's be honest, right? The sickle cell was the first disease ever genetically mapped in the entire world. But we've only had three or four drugs since 1940 to come out to try to help. And so what I noticed is that everybody in America has to be tested at birth for sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait. And I started seeing that all the young women that were coming to me and they had their babies with sickle cell disease, babies in pain, having all types of problems, these newborn babies, the women didn't have any idea that they had sickle cell trait, even though the test was done on the women at birth. So like when the baby, say the lady had a baby when you know she's 20 years old, that test was done she didn't have any idea of the results because when I was in medical school, it was taught that the trait actually was silent and didn't cause any problems for you. It just was if you, you know, had sickle cell trait, you made it with somebody with sickle cell trait, your baby did have sickle cell disease. People weren't taught that. But what we find is that, you know, the number one cause of death in new black military recruits 
was sickle cell trait up until about five years ago. And 17 young black men have dropped dead in NCAA sports from sickle cell trait. And if you go in a high altitude environment, um, like an airplane that's unpressurized in a cabin or a helicopter or go hiking or skiing or work out too hard and have bone pain without getting enough hydration, you can die from sickle cell trait. And there's 4 million people in America with sickle cell trait, black and white. And so this is a health crisis. If you don't believe me, go to the CDC website. It's clear as day and block capital letters. You can die from sickle cell trait. But the problem is people in America don't even know if they have sickle cell trait because they were taught that it wasn't a big deal. But so that's why this is an emergency and people are not getting care when they have sickle cell disease. When they go to the ER, they're not getting care. Kier goes to the ER and he had to wait eight hours in excruciating pain and people thinking he's a drug seeker because nobody knows how to treat the 100,000 people that have the disease, let alone the 4 million people that have the trait. So we got to get out there. We got to explain this to people. We got to educate them, but we got to entertain them because that's my brand, edutainment. I make you laugh. I make you cry, but I give you information. And then with that information, you can do whatever you want with it. But my job is to give people information worldwide. Now, that's what that's what living your life is about. But you said something in the middle of your conversation with me about drug or people who feel drug seekers that yes. that that people come in there, they're in pain. They're letting the nurse know, the doctor know that they're in pain, but they're being labeled as people who are just there to get drugs. Explain that. Well, how did that start and why is that such a problem? Okay, so basically what happens is when you have sickle cell disease, you have a lot of pain. You have a lot of issues when it comes to lung health, kidney health, spleen health, your vision, your, everything can be affected by sickle cell disease. And when you're like a two-year-old girl and you have some pain with a little pink dress on, going to the ER, you know, asking for some pain medicine, everybody thinks that's cute, right? That's cute. Right. Even though little kid's in pain. But when you are a 25-year-old, six-foot-tall, 180-pound person talking about you're in pain and you need some morphine, they're like, wait a minute, this ain't cute. This disease is supposed to be cured. So people think that sickle cell disease is cured because theoretically there is a cure that for the low, low price of $5 million and about five people have gotten it in the world since the beginning of time. Um, so that's not vi a viable option right now. So people have to live with this disease. And when they have pain, they have excruciating pain, 10 out of 10. But most doctors have never taken care of a sickle cell patient. They don't even know what that looks like. So when you go into an ER and you are a, a, an adult asking for morphine and they've never taken care of a patient like this, they think you're a drug seeker. They label you a drug seeker. And then you can't get the medicine that you need. It, it's, a, it's a very horrible, horrible process. And, um, and then you, you know, you're treated like a second-class citizen. It's just it's a horrible thing. So what we have to do as a people is we have to get our minds right and get some legislation so that we can identify people with sickle cell trait. That's the first thing. I know that that's I know that for a fact because I saw it happen. And then it feels like now today that sickle cell is still on the back burner of America and in the medical minds. Is that correct? It, it, it is. And I think it's because, um, well, you know, things fall out of favor because, you know, when when it's not important to a particular group of people that has the biggest voice, then it's not really addressed. So, I mean, sickle cell disease is in about 100,000 people. About 100,000 people have that. Now, when you look at a country with 
you know, 200, 300 million people in it. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success, experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making number so that's why i'm putting this on my back so that we can have that telethon again so we can bring some more uh um of the awareness to this disease because it's disabling and i'm, I'm gonna give you one step further i think it's criminal and that's right i called it criminal the fact that 97 percent of young black women that have a baby with sickle cell disease meaning that baby is going to be sick may probably die early be in pain lots of life always in the hospital 97 percent of these women that have this baby had no idea that they had sickle cell trait. But the test is already done on those women at birth. So what I'm saying is for us not to know that, and we're, we're spending billions of dollars on trying to find a cure, can we just spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on empowering the community to know if you have trait? So maybe if you know you, know you have trait and you meet a, a, a man, uh, or if you're a woman, I mean a man, you meet a woman, and you uh, want to have a baby with them, you should know. If right. it's a possibility that your child could have sickle cell disease, you might want to go ahead and do it. You might not want to go ahead and do it. But the point is, you need to know because that that baby is going to be a huge emotional change in your life. That baby is going to be a huge financial change in your life. That baby is going to have a lot of pain and distress in its life. So it's a big decision to make, but you need to know the information. So I think that what we're trying to do here is we're going to try to get a, a national registry. So all of you out there listening, if you were, if you're in your forties, your, that test was done at birth. If you're in the mid forties, every, all the way down to just born today, that test was done on you. And you can go find the results. And if you can't find the results, you can go straight to your doctor right now and get that test redrawn, okay, and see if you have the trait. And I think it's very, very important for you and your children to know so they can make some informed decisions. Wow. Well, the interesting thing about this whole conversation I'm having with Dr. Hebert is that, you know, I have the sickle cell trait. My wife. She had the sickle cell trait, so you, you're absolutely correct. We had we had to make a conscious decision about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bringing a young child into this world. Fortunately, our child does not have sickle cell disease, and so, but that doesn't matter. You know, when my wife was pregnant, you know, she was always fearful of that whole situation, and that I I wasn't aware of to afterwards. You know, so that's a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. That can be put on a couple, especially the woman in the couple in the relationship, because all you want is a healthy child. That's you want that miracle. You want the five fingers and on one hand, five toes on the other. You know, ten ten. You know, that's what you want when you when you bring a child in the world physically, and then you want when you slap them on the behind, you want them to scream. You want them to be alert. And when you have sickle cell, a disease that, like you said, when it comes into your life. It's costly. It's time consuming. Uh, your child may spend many hours and many days and maybe even many weeks into the hospital under care and they can never live a life. But we on this show, Living Your Life, the whole approach on that show is about showing people who have the trait, people who have sickle cell disease, living successful lives. Correct? That is correct. I mean, you know, there, there's some people that if you embrace your disease, if you do what you're supposed to do, you should be able to live your life like like anybody else. But uh, but the problem is, uh, we we uh, of the hundred thousand people that have this disease, we have lost meaning lost to follow up 
meaning they're just out there. We don't know where they are. About 70,000 of these people. We don't know where they are because when you get older, you know, people don't if you are ashamed to have this disease mm. because it, it, it causes a problem in your work. Meaning if, if, if like, say, Keir, right, Keir, who is the co-host of the show, say Keir is an actor. Right. So if he wants to be if he wants to be in a movie and he has to tell them that he has sickle cell, he may not get the part. Right. Because because they're going to say if he gets a sickle cell crisis in the middle of, of filming, then they got to shut it down. They can't, he, he can't be in the movie. So that means they're losing $150,000, $200,000 a day. They'd rather do somebody else. So that's discrimination. So, and then they're out there suffering in silence. So we, what we hope is that we, with this show, we bring people out because there's treatments. There's treatments now, newer treatments that can make your life a lot better, but we got to know. We got to know where you are. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's what we're trying but you to know, do with But this here's show. the thing. We're talking about just America right now. Sure. At 100,000. But that number swells when you get outside of the United States. Talk about the global uh, impact of how sickle cell affects different countries and how different countries are dealing with that as well. Yes, absolutely. There are more people with sickle cell disease in the world than in the United States by far. Because remember, this was, this was something that was done um, you know, th this was a, an, an evolution from the African continent. This was an evolution so that we can remember that people are dying of sickle cell, I mean, dying of malaria. And so if you develop sickle cell trait, then you were able to survive malaria. That's where sickle cell trait came from. It was an evolution of survival, okay? So now what you got to remember is that the sub-Saharan part of Africa, that's that has that issue. But if you start going towards, you know, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, and you start going towards Iraq and Turkey. All these people migrated from the same place. So, so they have more sickle cell disease and trade over there. But the issue is they don't have universal screening. So they're just dying. They're wow. just living horrible lives because they just don't even know that they have it. So that's why this is a global issue. And so I, I, I presented this concept at uh, the South by Southwest conference. That's where a bunch of 19-year-old billionaires with hoodies go and talk about how they can save the world, right? And these dudes, when I explained to them what happened, they said, wait a minute, we have a worldwide problem, a worldwide problem, and we're not doing something about it because of the lack of the aggregation of the data that already exists. Think about that. That's, that's criminal. We wouldn't be doing that in any other disease. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people look at the sickle cell as just a a, a black illness, a black disease, a black something that tied to our culture. And, but it's really a global thing where when you when you get out of the hundred thousand, you start going worldwide. We get into the millions, not the hundred thousand, yeah. not the ten, not two or four people. We go into the millions of people who are impacted or affected by sickle cell trait, which the, in turn leads to sickle cell disease. If the person you are happen to have a child with, y'all both have the trait, then you can eventually lead that to you. one out of four chances your child can have sickle cell disease. As a person who has sickle cell trait, what things should I be looking out for to make sure that I'm, I'm living a healthy life or a long life and not doing anything silly, Dr. Bear? The first thing you need to do is you need to make sure that you get enough sleep and get enough water. OK, those are the things that you just need to do just to be healthy. I don't care if you have sickle cell trait or not. You just need to get enough sleep, get enough water and decrease the amount of stress in your life. That's across the board. OK, but with somebody with sickle cell trait or disease, you need to make sure you eat well. 
You got to get this processed food out of your life. You got to eat more uh, plants. You got to eat more vegetables. You got to eat more um, uh, uh, things that are that are good for you and decrease some of this processed food. That's another thing. Also, you got to listen to your body. Okay, if you have sickle cell traits, the reason why people with sickle cell trait die is not because they just all of a sudden have this attack and fall out. That's not what happens. They just don't know that they have sickle cell traits. So when they're working out and they start feeling faint, they think that that's what's supposed to happen because that's just normal. And then they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's when they have the problem, right? So if you got to listen to your body, if you know, if you're going to a high altitude environment, if you know you're going to be working out a lot and you haven't worked out before and you start having these issues, just stop. Mm. Just stop, hydrate, and rest. And then you'll be absolutely fine. I also tell people with sickle cell trait, they probably should be taking some folate in their multivitamin. They need to make sure that they have enough vitamins in their body because your body to make red blood cells needs vitamins and it needs folate, folic acid. And that is in every multivitamin. But I would say take a little bit more because it can't hurt you. Okay. And I want you to do that. And also, if you're out there and you're sickle cell disease, I really want you to think about um, there's a lot of medicines out there. There's uh, and I need you to kind of go and look at some of them because they're out there and we need you to get your get your mind right and then come out of the uh, out of the hiding. We need to fix this situation. Well, you know, the, it's all about information. And well, one thing on this show, I try to bring information because of the fact that this is a show. I always talk about entrepreneurship and how to succeed. But if your health isn't right, you can't fulfill your dreams. And more important, you, you cannot mislead yourself to believe that it's going to be all good because you're not ill. But certain things have to happen that makes you successful. How can we get in touch with you, Dr. Bear? Are you on social? Because uh, I yes, definitely sir. want people to follow up because your cause is to provide that information. Your cause is to make sure people live healthy lives. That's Let's right. Know. So, and, and, and I put this kind of information out daily. So it's uh, at uh, Instagram. It's Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, H-E-B-E-R-T, MD. So that's at Corey Abair MD. On Twitter, it's at Corey Abair MD. And on um, Facebook, um, it is Dr. Corey Abair MD. Cool. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. And again, living your life that you're co hosting with Keir Spates uh, starts soon. Please go to Living Your Life Online. What's it? Living Your Life Online. It's livingyourlife.online is the website if you want to find any more information about the show that they're hosting and also following them up and uh, joining, I guess, fan clubs and all that stuff is available on the website and as well. Share and, and share, share it. And share it. And share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Thank you for uh, providing us with this blessing, Dr. Bear, and I, I wish you success on the show. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Let me tell you about the host of Money Making Conversations, Rushan McDonald. He's a social media influencer. 80% of his 1 million plus social media followers are female. Rushan's a two-time Emmy Award winner, three-time NAACP Image Award winner, sitcom writer, stand-up comic, and former IBM executive, and has a degree in mathematics. Most importantly, Rushan McDonald will interview his business and celebrity relationships to empower you with tips to succeed in your career that you can only hear in the Money Making Conversations Masterclass show. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.